the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Welcome to Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. And I'm here with... Kathy Lux, your co-host. Hello, Kathy. Thanks for being with us, as always. Happy to be. And we're going to talk to a young politician for the next uh, several segments here, uh, Jonah Schultz. Jonah, how are you? I'm great, Nick. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I said a young person. I mean, I'm just so thrilled to have someone coming up in the ranks to be involved in politics and to offer a number of years ahead of us yet. But for the people out there who are listening who haven't heard of you before, tell us a little bit about yourself and your interest in politics. Absolutely. Well, I was born and raised in Chardon, Ohio, so I'm a lifelong Northeast Ohioan. And I really began diving into politics after I graduated from the University of Finley. I was sitting down watching the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, and I realized that this wave was coming for each and every one of us if we didn't stand up and fight. And so I started getting involved in politics, uh, working on campaigns, doing some policy advising, and eventually launching my own campaigns for Congress, which were ultimately unsuccessful, but allowed me to really see deeply some of the problems within our political process, uh, within both parties and and within our culture at large, understanding the issues that are really impacting the everyday American that are that are often ignored by our more ruling political elite, and that has really launched me into writing my upcoming book, Common Sense for a Dying Nation, uh, which is now available on Amazon and, and where you buy books, and really understanding that this battlefield that we are on is political cultural and spiritual and knowing that we do need a new generation of leaders that's going to pick up that mantle pick up that flag and run with it you know again i mentioned your age and that also lends to your viewpoint and there's a certain amount of optimism i hear in your voice and uh, with regard to problems from your perspective from your vantage point what, what do you see as the problems what is the main problem with what we're experiencing well the main problems we're experiencing it, it we address all of the policy issues. The policy issues themselves are relatively simple in our time, right? If you want to reduce illegal immigration, you close the border. If you want to reduce crime, you lock up more criminals. If you want to reduce inflation, you reduce spending. These aren't overly complicated issues. So where is the disconnect between our politicians and our people that are really facing the brunt of of the force of these issues? And so what I my hope is in everything that I do in my book, in my running for office, is encouraging people to hold up a mirror to ourselves. How are, are we creating a culture, a society that truly deserves to be free? Are we living virtuous lives the way that, that God intended us to live? 
And I believe that a good people will create a good government, but the American people have so largely checked out of our political process, allowing these few political elite to really manipulate and control the outcomes. And so my, my, my main issue that I see is that of apathy among the voting base, that we have simply accepted a more docile existence where we outsource our own political authority to a powerful few. And that is the antithesis of the original American who sought adventure and independence and, and certainly independent mm-hmm. thought. Uh, and so I think most of our issues stem into our culture. We're going to take a short break. We're talking to Jonah uh, Schultz concerning politics and what's going on from a perspective that we haven't looked at for a while. We'll take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're joining Nick Phillips and Kathy Lux. Stay with us. Dr. Jonah will be right back. Go away. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. I'm here with... Kathy Lutz. And I have a question. Go right ahead. Um, So my question for you, Jonah, is, um, you know, regarding apathy, I see apathy stemming from a number of things with people. I I see it as they don't believe their voices are heard um, by the people in office. Um, I think they feel they don't know where to, to go to get the truth about what's happening in our country because there's so much um, censorship um, and and we're not told everything that's going on. I, I think there's uh, a feeling right now in this country that um, there's so much corruption that people feel as though, it, you know, and are our elections fair? Um, you talked about process, the, the political process. I think that's key. I think that's huge. Um, the, the, the way that people are funded, the, the, the whole process, I think, leads to corruption. And so, you know, there's so many ways to solve it and approach it. And as you said, a lot of these issues are simple. The will is not there in our representatives yeah. to solve it. That's what's missing. Would you agree? No, I would absolutely agree. And you made an excellent point that they're, the majority, I believe, feel that they don't have a voice and they are searching for what they could possibly do to turn things around. But I think m- the majority as well have kind of thrown in the towel. And, and that is always what the tyrannical forces of government hope happens, exactly. right? They, they have a desire not to just dominate, but to discourage, to ultimately send the people into a state of despair and hopelessness. And I think we're seeing the results of many decades of individuals being taught that they're simply a small cog in a great machine, whether it's in their school, in their workplace, or in their government, that they are this tiny, vo- insignificant voice that ca- can't possibly make a difference. And, and there's, there's a great saying that tyrants don't create tyranny, compliance does. And we are ta- taught in many cases from the time we're born to just go along, to get along. I know certainly my generation has been. Mm-hmm. And so now the time that we are adults, 
we don't believe that we can succeed without the government, pay, afford a house without the government, go to school without the government, and people have been taught to simply be lapdogs. And you go towards our political process where money, power, corruption, endorsements, you know, the, these high-profile things that are, are generally out of reach of the average politician gets pushed to a few privileged few, uh, and as a result, the American people feel they don't have the choice or the access. I, I think that's a pretty pretty astute um, observation on your part, yes. You know, John, when we t- talk about freedom, there's uh, always something I think you just mentioned, and that is uh, we should get some instruction as to how we can be free and how we should act. Yet, on the other hand, freedom is that uh, we're not told how to act. We can act any way we want. Who's going to be making decisions as to what kind of conduct is acceptable and what kind of conduct is not acceptable? And and how do we squeeze that out of a free society and still say we're free? Well, if you look back to our founding, it was made very clear by many of our founding fathers that a democracy, the republic that we have, is only going to be maintained under a virtuous people. And freedom, liberty can only be maintained with a sense of virtue. And that's that's a huge part about in my book, Common Sense for a Dying Nation, is understanding what liberty really is. Liberty is not simply doing what you want, getting what you want, sleeping with whoever you want, shooting up whatever drugs you want. Liberty is the ability to live a free, virtuous life that allows you to certainly prosper, but to honor what is true, good, and beautiful in this life. And the perfect example I always use when we talk about liberty, because there's a more liberal and libertarian view that's kind of taken over America in the last several decades of what liberty is. The idea of unimpeded drug use, when we see the individuals in San Francisco or L.A. that are zombie-like individuals just waiting for the next time they can puncture their veins. Now, in the liberal or libertarian view, that person is free to choose. But in the real world view, that person is a slave. They are a slave to their own passions, their own desires, and their own base human instincts. And so we have to allow our, our align our government through policy to encourage individuals to live truly free lives where they champion those base destructive desires. And ultimately, the Republican Party, in my view, has completely lost sense of that, taking a, a more neutral view where the left has taken a a much harsher view on their use of government and government authority when the people give it to them. And I think Republicans need to learn to do the same to encourage good behavior. What do you think should be the next step? The next step for the Republican Party. For the Republican Party. The next step for the Republican Party, and I think you're seeing it play out in different states around the country and then certain political leaders, but you look at an individual like Ron DeSantis who is saying, I'm going to use, in many cases, the authority of the government to tamper, to tamp down actions that we don't want in our state, right? We're going to say to Disney, we're not going to tolerate the poisoning of our youth and allow you to continue to get the tax breaks you're getting. We're saying to schools, no, we're not just going to have this absolutely neutral government. We're going to go in and say you can't teach critical race theory. You can't have this type of pornography in schools. Uh, and we're going to enforce a a a an American Western Christian value-based culture that has always been the foundation 
of our free society here in America, and I think you're seeing that trend uh, in the Republican Party among certain leaders. I'm a little hesitant. To, you know, our country is comprised of people that are not Christian, and and our country is filled with many people that will not conform to being virtuous. Um, so, I mean, how do you foster that? Well, I, I think it comes from the understanding that the government's job isn't to force anybody to believe anything. But if you look at how our society is structured, how it has always been founded, we are a Christian nation. Our, our values are inherently Judeo-Christian. It's what's made this country great. It's what's made it prosper. It's, it's, it's what has made it free. And so it, we created a society that respected and and view, uh, respected all viewpoints, all religious beliefs, and we're not talking about a theocracy here, but we are saying that there is a certain behavior in society when it comes to virtue that allows it to thrive. So we have to return to the idea that at the very least, there is a true moral center of what is right and wrong. We say murder is wrong. Obviously, we say theft is wrong. But increasingly, we're going to this more objective truth, where we talk about my truth instead of the truth, where we talk about right and wrong not being uh, subjective, not objective, subjective. Um, when we're talking about the overall idea of having a moral compass of society that our rights and our responsibilities and right and wrong come from a divine place, that has to be a real pillar in society, or you see it begin to crumble into chaos when you have 300 million people living out my truth instead of the truth or what is truly right and wrong. And we can have debates over those things. I'm not saying it's purely black and white to any of us. We're always seeking and searching, but we do need to return to that to that center at the very least. How do you enforce that, and how do you use a essentially secular government to go out and promote virtuous ideas that are really the the, the pillars of, say, a religious group? Well, the interesting thing about that debate is that our, our government up until more recently in our history was never truly secular, right? We Our, our point of the, the separation of church and state is, is not truly enshrined in law from the standpoint of the point of the separation of church and state was to protect the church from the state. Our religious views always will guide our political views because at their core, every human being, whether they believe in a certain God or not, is religious, is spiritual, does derive their beliefs from something greater than themselves. And so we have to allow our spirituality to advise what we believe politically. Uh, and I think when you see in our schools, when you see the Bible taken out of our schools, you see a direct correlation to upticks in, in violence. You see direct upticks uh, in immoral behavior that's, that's not just immoral from my standpoint, but destructive behavior that, that hurts children and, and hurts families. And so when you're looking at how do we recenter ourselves, there has to be a spiritual element to it that believes there is something greater and a higher moral power, um, and that does have a place in our halls of government, and that's why for the better part of our history, spirituality and religion was made a key part of our government. Hmm. Well, let's take a short break. We're going to come back with our last segment of The Advocate for today. Uh, we're talking to Jonah Schultz and uh, Kathy and Nick Phillips. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. Don't go. 
And now, back to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. Welcome back. We've been to our final segment of The Advocate for today. So this is Nick Phillips, and we're here with Kathy Lutz. Kathy Lutz. And for Jonah, you know, I, I find um, there's a lot, of, a lot of wisdom in what you're saying, um, but I, I, I wonder how you feel about the fact that I think a lot of, you know, there's so much mental illness now more than ever before and I think a large part of what we need to do in this country is take policy steps to make it more um, make it easier for people to have family lives and get back to a family nucleus because I think a lot of these problems in society stem from a lack of that where you have um, couples that both have to work to be able to um, make it financially. And so very often that family nucleus is torn apart because of stress and all of the to-dos. And what, what's your opinion on that? Well, you're absolutely correct, and the family has been completely hollowed out in the United States. The majority of children are now growing up in single-parent homes, Mm -hmm. and you see this stemming back to public policy during the LBJ administration, during the war on poverty that completely decimated communities like the black community that had a higher marriage rate than the white community. And as soon as the government went in and started incentivizing financially, incentivizing single parenthood and having as many children as possible out of wedlock, you saw those numbers begin to shift. So they're, they're, as conservatives, a lot of the time we talk about culture being down, or uh, politics being downstream of culture, but often culture is downstream of politics through the policy. So we need to create policy yes. that incentivizes parents staying together, that incentivizes having children while married. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you talk about things like daycare, I'm in that you know I'm in that same boat looking forward to you know getting married and having children and, and thinking how are we going to make this work financially in the current climate um, when you, it's you know when you have the issues with inflation and the the affordability of common household goods and and the housing market being completely through the roof um, those things really stem to the fact that we, in many ways, we have gotten very materialistic as a society, not just we look at the policy angle, and that's one thing, and if we had more time, we could dig into inflation and all of those issues that go very deep. But um, what we have done is we've, we often put ourselves in a trap, right, where we, we take on a certain lifestyle that only allows, that, that puts us in that trap where we have two people working, we have to put our child in daycare, and to keep our child in daycare, we have to have two people working, right? And we take on those type of burdens. Even if you discount child care costs, mm-hmm. um, we need, with, as you said, the cost of housing, the cost of food, mm-hmm. um, the cost of gas, it, it, everything is over the top. And, and so it, it still takes two people often mm-hmm. the, the middle class has been just so beaten down and beaten down and beaten down um our small businesses and so i think um it makes uh, I, I think that's part of the storm 
And and you're absolutely right. And to take it back to a personal example, I, you know, I graduated, but my generation is a, a generation that graduated with hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans in many cases. Mm-hmm. And so you're taking on what in many cases was our parents' first mortgage <laughs> and, and then going right. into having children. So it makes the financial. So when you look at all these issues, you're, you're taking it from every front. It's like a circular battle that you're fighting on every front. And so it's really going to take people holding their elected officials accountable to actually enact policy that is going to benefit their lives. Not, and, and from the Republican standpoint, not just every time we get power to just sit on our hands and say we don't want the government to do anything, but to actually aggressively enact policy that is going to lower prices, that is going to help the everyday American, and ultimately bring the family back together. Wonderful. Those are, those are good words, and we're so glad you're going to be around for years to help keep these uh, moving forward, being persistent with some of these thoughts. But, uh, Jonah, thank you so much for joining us. And the name of the book is Common Sense for a Dying Nation. So it's an interesting read. And thank you for joining us. Absolutely. And you can go to jonahdschultz.com as well. But thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. It was nice talking with you, Jonah. Thank you. Well, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a good, healthy, and safe week. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.